0: Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of the Movie Bretts Podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. Uh, it's been a little while, Jonathan, and in this time, I know you've seen uh, a couple movies. Uh, how has your time been since we last recorded?
1: Well, I won't go into all my personal details, but I had an amazing time at the New York Film Festival until I fell and fractured my foot. And it's been one thing after another. But I really did have a great time uh, before that. I saw a number of films at the festival, and I saw some just in the regular movie theater. Um, The biggest thing, of course, was at a front row seat to Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, the world premiere. There was a screening early in the morning for press, but it was the official first screening of the festival and I was at the sh- uh, the afternoon screening. And I don't have even a membership to the theater, and I just went online when the tickets went on sale to the public, and it just it picks a seat for you automatically. So I was in the big theater, Alice Tully Hall, and I was right up front and got to see Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, and a bunch of the other actors. And um, we can review the film in full when you've seen it, uh, but it's <laughs> yes, masterful. Exactly. It's amazing. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it, you absolutely should go see it in a theater if it plays anywhere near you, even though it's three hours and 29 minutes, and there was no intermission. <laughs> uh, but I didn't get up uh, for a second, didn't miss it, I sat through all the end credits. I, it was weird to me that, like, almost everyone in the theater left before the end credits ended. I'm like, you wow. the world premiere, The yeah. Irishman, and you sat for this for 20 minutes, and like there was, like, nobody left in the theater. Yeah, it's um, eight hours and 29 minutes, and it is definitely a film. It is a cinematic experience, but it almost, because of its length, most people, I think, even if it did play in wide release, they would just watch it on Netflix and not watch it in one sitting, which yeah. is, I think is the wrong way to do it. The film can be seen in one go, and it's, like, absolutely not boring. It, I mean, it's... You know, it, it, a good movie can be. You know, it's it's about it's just about as long as Godfather Part Two. I think Godfather Two is about three hours and twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's you know we'll do a full review of it, but you absolutely should see this film. I mean, I can't imagine anyone being a serious film person and not die, not be dying to see the Irish. Oh men. my god! Yeah. Um. Uh, some of the other films I saw, I saw Kelly Ark's new film, First Cow and uh, I'm teaching a female director's class um, at the college I teach at, and I just showed her film Wendy and Lucy after the midterm. I've seen all of her feature films, and I would say she's the best working female director, and First Cow just reconfirms that. It's just one of those films where you watch it, and very soon into it, you just go, oh, you're in the hands of a master. Like, this is a director that is completely doing what he or she wants to do, and they're just doing it brilliantly. And uh, unlike a lot of her films, especially *Wendy and Lucy* and *Meek's Cutoff*, which are two of her more famous ones, it's actually a really funny movie. It's dry and droll, but a lot of her other movies are very not funny. I know Meeks but, cut uh, off and *Meek's Cutoff* is famously boring. Yeah, it's like one of the most really, really realistic uh, period piece films. Like, you know how some feel, and brilliantly so, but some feel like modernized or they feel like they're, you know, artistically spruced up to entertain Mm -hmm. an audience. And and Meek's Cutoff is like, this is really what it probably would be like if a camera crew went back and they had cameras back then, but they followed uh, people going uh, on the Oregon Trail. Like, nothing happens. I tell people that, you know, a number of Westerns are, also action films the only action in that film is where one of the wagons gets loose and rolls down a hill slowly for about 30 seconds it's very but it's really good don't get me wrong but uh, she she's very understated director um, but first cow which isn't going to come out until next year uh, it's going to be released by a24 early next year mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I just real quick mention some other ones I saw Pedro Amadovar's pain and glory which is in limited release already and that's uh, a wonderful film. Um, it stars Antonio Banderas playing a film director that is obviously supposed to be somewhat based on Almodovar himself. Mm-hmm. Even has kind of the funny hair, and uh, Penelope Cruz plays his mother in flashbacks. And uh, we can review that when it comes somewhere near you because it is out now in theaters. Pain and Glory, um, and that was uh, a really lovely film. Uh, yeah, one well, I'm yeah, very I, excited. I, I just mentioned real quick seeing. that I went. This, Oh yeah. Um, the one one cool thing was I went to on Thursday evening the uh, the night before the screening of the Irishman. I saw a Casino in 35 millimeter with the co-screenwriter Nicholas Pajeli, or how do you say his last name? six years old. He also wrote Goodfellas with Scorsese
0: and Wise yeah, Guy, yeah. the uh, and, the book um, that Goodfellas he, is based on.
1: Right. Yes, and he uh, is kind of like a journalist, and he's written these true uh, crime. Uh, novels and written films with Scorsese, and um, you know, people like to say, "Oh, Casino isn't as good as Goodfellas." Well, there's like 38 films ever made that are better than Goodfellas. So to say it's not, it isn't as good as Goodfellas, but it's
0: yeah, it's amazing. holding Scorsese seeing, to a very high standard.
1: <laughs> I know. It's like saying, you know, oh, this, you know, every. It's like I think one of the problems Coppola's had in his career is that in the 70s. So you have godfather one godfather Two, the conversation apocalypse mm-hmm. now and then they go well it's not as good as those well like there's so few <laughs> films ever made that are that good and so like yeah, yeah you know in the 80s and onwards you know well but, it's like Scott because, Fitzgerald, you know,
0: all yeah. kind of sort of artists who come out really hot early i mean maybe like someone like damien chazelle will have an issue like that 10 years down the line everyone's like yeah you know it's no whiplash
1: i mean i think that's one of the main reasons that tarantino wants to do tin and done because because he doesn't yeah. want to be an old man making films that are not nearly as good as his Pulp Fiction or Glorious Bastards, and well, he's been good about taking there, a long like time between
0: movies. And and like Woody Allen, who every year makes a movie, and you know some aren't great, some are classics, and <laughs> it's sort of like Russian Roulette, which ones uh, end up being really good.
1: Yeah, and like Clint Eastwood, he has a film about every year, year and a half. Like his new film that he just finished shooting, yeah, like Richard a, like a few months. ago. <laughs> I know. But he I mean, turns has an them Oscar out. Yeah. Winning Oscar nominated yeah. cast. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he, he All of his films aren't successful, but there's he does. I mean, I thought I really thought the mule was like no, I really good, like
0: shockingly. Yeah, I heard uh, a lot of people yeah, trash that, and be like it was so terrible, and you know he's just phoning it in. But you know that's not what I thought at all. So, I'm really excited yeah. for Richard. Joy. But uh, I yeah. like, think that's gonna be much better than it has. any Yeah. Way to uh, be. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, you, you don't know if it's going to be uh, Jersey Boys or it's going to be <laughs> Grand Torino. Like, you know, he has different levels. Like, sometimes they don't turn out so good. But they're always interesting. They're always oh, worth yeah. seeing. I mean, he's one of those directors, even if he has one every year, almost. I go to see a Clint Eastwood film. He's 89 now. But um, <laughs> I was just going to mention that I saw it just in a regular theater. I saw The Golden Glove, which is this really nasty, ugly uh serial killer film that's based on a real person. And it's a very well made film, but it's just uh, ugly and hard to watch. And it's just like this, you know, unattractive man who has women, you know, he picks them up at a bar and they go back to his apartment and he smashes their face and, or stabs them to death and hacks up their body and either disposes it in the city or they, he just throws the body in the store, storage space in the attic. And yeah, it's it's really ugly and unpleasant, but it's very well done. Uh, and I also saw a zombie comedy from Japan called One Cut of the Dead that has like a 86 on Metacritic or something. Huh. Um, and it's a it's like Memento in a way where you have to kind of get through the film to piece it together because it's split into thirds. And the first third is really bad in some ways. And you go like, this is supposed to be a good movie, but when you get to the end of the movie, you're why the first third is so bad because it's about a film production and you're watching for the first 30 minutes or so you're watching uh, the film they're making and there's all these like awkward moments that are really bad and you just think it's a bad movie but then you see the behind the scenes of what was going on and then it makes it funny so I didn't like it like I really was not enjoying it for like half the movie and then it like pieced together. I was like, Oh, Oh, I see what they're doing. Like this is very intelligent. That Uh, definitely sounds very different in its
0: narrative structure than, than what you would expect going into a movie.
1: And just one more that I saw outside the festival, the laundromat, which Ah. is Steven Soderbergh's new film, which like the Irishman is going to be on Netflix. uh, And briefly uh, in some theaters it's uh, Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas, and a bunch of other actors show up in it, James Cromwell, Sharon Stone, Larry Orr. Uh, but it's about the Panama Papers, mm. and it's a minor Soderbergh film, and in a weird way, like, Cut of the Dead, because of the way the film is structured, it's kind of... It's the one of the drugs we have. And even when he's doing a little film that doesn't entirely work, there's so much interesting uh, aspects to it. And if you don't know what happens at the end, don't read about it. I was upset that I read an article that was saying what happens at the end. It's not like a major spoiler, uh-huh. but there's this really interesting. Uh, uh, I'll just say the Meryl Streep said at the premiere of the film at the film festival that. The only person that could have directed this film, besides Steven Soderbergh, is Brecht. So <laughs> it has a Brechtian Indian ending. Um, uh, but yeah, so That's those very are some pretentious of the films I say. saw at the festival. No, <laughs> yeah, but it was funny because, and when you see the ending, you'll get what she's talking about. Okay. But it'll be interesting to see if you see it if you pick up before the end of the movie what, sort of what the ending reveal is. Okay. I'll just say that. Well, no, I, I, that don't is, wanna, uh... I don't want to. I don't give away. But there's a there's kind of a meta ending. I'll say.
0: Okay. Yeah, that is one that uh, uh, but, uh, seemed uh, pretty interesting when I first saw previews for it, but you saying that just makes me a little even more curious going into that. Right. Unfortunately, probably that one I'll see until uh, it comes out on Netflix, because, uh, you know, the limited theater releases and stuff like that. But going into our reviews for the week, we're doing two movies that premiered at the Venice Film Festival, starting off with Ad Astra, directed by James Gray, who has also done *We Own the Night* from 2007, *The Immigrant* from 2013, and *The Lost City of Z* in 2016? It stars Brad Pitt, who is also a producer on this movie with his Plan B production company, which has done some very good movies uh, over the last decade or so, and also starring Tommy Lee Jones and Donald Sutherland, which I thought was a funny callback uh, to their co-starring with each other and was it *Space Cowboys* in the early 2000s? uh the movie is about an astronaut who goes on a mission to track down his lost father after a series of power searches threaten our solar system it premiered at august 29th at the Venice film festival u.s wide release on september 20th a metacritic score of 80 rotten Tomatoes score of 83 and has so far made 120 million dollars on a 80 to 100 million dollar budget which is thank god it at least broke even because I was very afraid that this was going to lose a lot of money. Uh, Jonathan, what did you think of Ad Astra?
1: I'm not the biggest science fiction fan in the world. Uh, I especially am not particularly interested in the Star Wars, Star Trek, Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of the more kiddie space opera. But I found this film very moving, and obviously uh, it's brilliantly... Constructed the production design, the special effects. And I like that every so often a quote-unquote big spectacle film manages to be a big spectacle film, but also be very grounded and tactile. And honestly, this movie, a lot of it is quiet scenes of people in the spaceship that's floating out in the vastness of space. But it's a very intimate film in a weird way. It's, it's the paradox of being about the possibilities, the vastness of the solar system. But it's a very intimate film and it's a very personal film about uh, Brad Pitt's character, Roy McBride, trying to find his father and also trying to find on kind of an existential level if there's anything else out there uh, in the solar system. Yeah, I, I thought it was very moving and I think Brad Pitt proves that he's like, a He's a really good actor, but he's also a great movie star. And he man, you know, not all not all people are both a great movie star and a really good actor, but he is. And um, yeah, I, I yeah, I thought I thought it was it was definitely worth seeing in IMAX. Uh, yes, I saw it IMAX it? I'm as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, like you were saying, it was very much like uh, to go with the classic phrase, like you can go anywhere, but you still have to take yourself with you. It sort of takes that to the extreme where. Brad Pitt's character travels, you know, to the farthest reaches of our solar system, but sort of spends a lot of time just confronting his own personal demons and his inability to have relationships on Earth and sort of always looking to solve his problems outside of himself because, you know, it's very difficult for him. The Liv Tyler character is, is his sort of emotional connection on Earth, and we sort of just see her in, like, video messages and flashbacks until... The very end of the movie but yeah for a movie that's you know cost so much money and uses so many visual effects it was sort of amazing how much of it uh took place in the quiet moments probably the two sort of standout scenes i think of is one where brad pitt is just in the cockpit of a spaceship uh and there's voiceover narration which uh sort of received mixed reactions because a lot of people automatically see voiceover as a crutch but we can discuss that uh, further if uh, you want to dig into that topic. But that scene and then one where he's just in, like, a relaxation room on, like, the Mars uh, uh, space camp. And he's just sort of, like, with himself. And, uh, yeah, very interior performance. And, yeah, Brad Pitt is such a large presence in this movie. And this is coming off of his possibly, like, career best performance in One of Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is really coming into development as the year of Brad Pitt. Uh <laughs> So yeah, I mean, what did you think of the voiceover narration? We can just sort of get into that. Like, did you see it as a crutch or did you think it was sort of useful in terms of like the the point of the movie and its interiority and stuff like that?
1: Well, I think it worked. Now I'm gonna ask you, I'll see if you can get it right away. Did this film remind you of another film? Oh definitely very... Apocalypse it's...
0: Now. And there's multiple connections yeah, yeah, with that yeah. because I think both are either explicitly or at least you know in part based on heart of darkness which is also a sort of very interior narrative obviously it's a book and not a movie but in terms of being voiceover narration and just sort of a very lone protagonist it was very much like apocalypse now but just set in space and not uh, the vietnam war
1: right and you know obviously uh, in apocalypse now they're going down you know, the river through Vietnam, but in this film, they're going through space. So, you know, but they're both about journeys and they're very much about the travel, the, the, you know, and not losing yourself in this
0: different sort of climate than you're used to.
1: Right. Uh, if, if you haven't, I highly recommend after everyone sees the film to listen to the DGA interview. James Gray is interviewed by Damien Chazelle, who directed first man, which came out last year. And they talk a lot of, uh, science, uh, and they were talking about how they wanted to make the film as realistic as possible. And that's one of the things that's intriguing about the film is that, no, I don't mean this as in a negative way, but a lot of the space travel is kind of boring, but it's fascinating in that way because it's not like this spe- crazy spectacle where it, it, it's it's almost like a... An airline, but they're just going to space, <laughs> and you know there's uh, yeah. That it, way, not, it reminded me of 2001:
0: a, a Space Odyssey, where they had like the commodification of the outer right. space experience.
1: There's an Applebee's on the moon, and there's subway <laughs> yeah. in the terminal when they get there. Yeah, because they said the reason is because that they're going to have processed food. That's what they can have up there. Like mm-hmm. that's that's that that is a realistic um, you know d- decision. But yeah, there's something very It's one of those futuristic films where it feels realistic. Like you feel like, yeah, no, this is like what's going to happen, and it's it's not like there's space like people flying around on, you know, you know, there's not like flying cars, but there is you know spectacle to it, but it seems very grounded.
0: Yes, very few action set pieces. One of them, although that takes place on the moon, was really outstanding. It was one of the best uh sort of most creative action sequences i've seen in a while where some like space raiders attack them while they're transferring from one base to the other on the moon because it's like uh sort of like you know uh the ocean and like the 1700s or you know early 1800s where it's just a free-for-all and they're pirates like and stuff p- like that yeah <laughs> yeah
1: I also think uh, very early in the film there's an explosion where they're working on uh, yes. um, that's how it opens and, and it's and a really visually
0: stunning sequence it I couldn't help but think of gravity though which opens in very similar circumstances
1: right I mean in, in that interview with Gray uh, he talks about one of the, the obstacles you have to get over making a film like this is 2001 he says which is like the the granddaddy of all these movies like First Man and uh, that it's it's you know arguably the best, and that you you both can't ignore the film, but you also have to in a way pay homage to it. You have to. It's like you can't ignore it. You have to. You try to make your own film, but it's it's there. This you know looming obel. You know it's there. But yeah, I think that um, it, yeah, I mean it. The film, in a weird way, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but the I mean basically they don't find anything. And the message is we got to stick with ourselves and like we got to have faith in ourselves because there may there may there might not be anything out there and that we got to find it within (laughs) ourselves. And as a species, yeah, that's pretty much what you got. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, then you really can't look to anyone else for any sort of answers except for, you know, (laughs) the people immediately around you and, you know there's not don't look for it especially like the search for alien life because everyone thinks you know it must be like this advanced civilization who could help us so much like that's even what you get from like prometheus where uh you know people go searching for these big answers about all the big questions about you know the meaning of human life and sort of stuff like that and that Astra is like i don't know maybe these aren't the right questions maybe we should just try to make life on earth as best as we possibly can
1: yeah, I mean, I think most people agree, like, if you look at the percentage of how much America spends and how much the space program gives, it's extremely small. Like, when you hear numbers, it's like they spend billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of money. But we absolutely should do p- space exploration, and we should try to understand our solar system better. However, you know, our our goal isn't, to, it shouldn't be like, oh, well, let's make it so that we can flee to the moon or another planet if... You know, Earth gets completely, you know, unlivable because of us uh, polluting it and climate change. Like, no, no, like, say, like Earth should be the number one priority. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't also explore. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's it. I I think the message of the film is that you know we should we should protect ourselves and 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 find within our species, our kind. You know, meaning uh, not that we shouldn't explore, but don't you know. And hope on, you know, explaining the world. You know, we should, you know, find it within ourselves. Right? A little
0: bit of a lighter question: Do you think there's any possibility of Brad Pitt being nominated in two separate acting categories this year?
1: I think it's likely he'll get nominated for at least one of the films. But what might happen, which has happened before, is that. He they they X each other out and he doesn't get nominated for either. I remember, I think it was just like last year, it was like Emily Blunt, like uh-huh. there was th- talk that she was gonna get nominated for Mary Poppins' return to lead actress and supporting actress for A Quiet Place, and she get nominated for either. Uh-huh. So I could see that happening, but. Uh, I actually would say that it's more likely he gets nominated for a supporting actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I don't know how many people have seen Ad Astra, and I no, think almost everyone in, like, <laughs> yeah. will see the Tarantino film. Although I think but this one it was, was a very different of, like,
0: sort of side. This was so—this is such a different Brad Pitt. Either way, they're both sort of, like, older character roles, and I'm very glad that he's aging into these roles in a very graceful sort of way, unlike someone like, say, a Tom yeah. Cruise who's clinging on to seeming like he's in his early 30s. <laughs> right.
1: Well, I think that... Uh, well, it's, it's the question, too. I mean, wouldn't you say that Brad Pitt is a co-lead with Leonardo DiCaprio in mm-hmm. that film? Like, he's obviously a lead in Ad Astra, but like... Well, it's sort of like The Favourite where
0: just, like, one of them has to be the lead, and it's sort of random how they get to that, but...
1: Yeah, but it's like Thelma and Louise, they're both the leads. They both got nominated. Or Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. they're both leads. But, um, yeah, I, I, but, I mean, the Oscars choose. I mean, they, they put Ayla Davis for supporting actress for Fences, and she was clearly lead actress in that. But oh. I think a lot of times they put it in what category they think they could get nominated or even win. That's why they do it a yeah. lot of the times. There's if just too not, much politics about that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. But um, I was just going to mention one last thing about Ad Astra. Um, I've seen James Gray's four most recent films Two Lovers, The Immigrant, Velocity of Z, and Ad Astra. And you wouldn't necessarily expect, uh, especially, I haven't seen them, but his earliest films are like these very quiet, intimate films about people in New York City. And, And like The Immigrant is a period piece. But it's very quiet and, you know, it's, it's it's like a 70s film. And The Lost City of Z is definitely bigger than any of his other films. But he went, you know, the farthest reaches of the universe, you know, the solar system with Ad Astra. And But he still manages to have it be very grounded. And mm-hmm. I was going to say that along with Steven Soderbergh and David Cronenberg, uh, James Gray is one of the most intelligent directors. He's so smart and literate and you know, I love listening to him in interviews because he's such a film. Uh, you know, he's such a cinephile, but he's also intelligent. When I've been hearing him talk about the science of the film, so uh, he's one of those directors I really respect. Just hearing him talk about cinema and what that means to him, and one thing I found really fascinating, he talked about, you know, what you know, in a weird way, how cinema makes him feel more human that, you know, when he sees Claudette Colbert's that sparkle in her eye and it happened one night, like that, like that connects him to the human race. Like it connects him to humankind. And I think that that's true. It's like films in their best capacity connect us to the rest of the world. And we empathize with people. And, you know, this film in a way is very, um, it, 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 it's like cold in a way, but it's also very moving. You know what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. Yeah. And moving on to our second yeah. movie, which starred a frequent collaborator of James Gray. He starred in Two Lovers and also The Immigrant. Uh, <laughs> we are going to yeah, discuss... The oh, and we are the night. So yeah, three in a row before he moved on to some other people. Uh, movie two is Joker directed by Todd Phillips, uh, who was previously known for his uh, sort of bro comedies, Old School from 2003 and The Hangover from 2008. Uh, It stars Joaquin Phoenix, as previously mentioned, in addition to Robert De Niro and Zazie Beetz. It is a movie set in the Batman universe about a clown and aspiring stand-up comedian in late 70s Gotham City named Arthur Fleck, who undergoes a downward spiral that culminates in extreme violence. Uh, It premiered August 31st at Venice Film Festival, so only two days after Ad Astra, and was released wide in the U.S. on October 4th. It has had an extremely mixed critical reception. I've seen a lot of five-star reviews and a a lot of very low scores. It has a Metacritic score of 58 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 68, but has absolutely been cleaning up the box office. I know it's one the u.s box office back-to-back weekends and has made 543 million dollars to date which to me is frankly unbelievable that it's gonna make a billion dollars (laughs) uh i'm expecting you're gonna have a strong reaction to this movie i will let you have uh the immediate floor for your reactions to joker
1: no i want you to go first
0: okay i'll go first uh, you go first. I think it's amazing that this film was made in the first place. Uh, the fact that Todd Phillips basically conned Warner Brothers into paying $60 million for him to remake The Taxi Driver is frankly unbelievable. And the fact that it a billion, it's going to end up being a billion dollar movie is almost more unbelievable that that many people are going to see. A very unrelenting, very bleak movie about a uh, mentally ill person who goes on a murder spree. But that being said, I thought it was a very effective movie, and I was very riveted while I was watching it. I would not say it's a positive viewing experience, but I mean it's amazing that movies like this get made, and I think it's real credit to the people that made it that something like this ended up reaching theaters. And I don't know, it's just amazing that as many people are going to see it and. I don't I can't say if it's like good or bad because it was just like a it was a challenging movie and it was a movie that wanted to be challenging but I don't think it was it's not bad. I'll say it's not awful but it's not like it was a masterpiece. It's just a a movie that I probably won't see again and if I do uh, it'll be a, a, also a very challenging experience but it pales in comparison to the movies that it pays tribute to uh you know Taxi Driver and king of comedy specifically but i and it was a good movie <laughs> and it was you know i'm ram i'm definitely rambling you said you were rambling earlier but i think that's just sort of what it is it's just a movie that just makes you you know go in a hundred different directions so <laughs> after getting my rambling reaction to it uh yeah how do you respond to that
1: okay uh i think joker is junk it's absolute <laughs> junk um I think Joaquin Phoenix is one of the best actors of his generation and he's the best thing in the film. He gives a sincere, yes. you know, really phenomenal performance, but this is a completely empty, pretentious, nothing of a film. It's like what if we took all these profound, artistically, you know, startling films from uh, the 70s and early 80s like Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy and Network and let's just make it a yeah. stupid fucking Batman movie. There were let's way more net- network
0: and... references than I expected and especially the ending was almost lifted directly from network but
1: with all the screens on yeah. the screen. Uh yeah, I I like this movie isn't worth you know, debating whether it's going to incite violence. It's just a piece of junk. It's even worse to me than the usual comic book junk, like Guardians of the Galaxy and all the Marvel films, because at least those often don't have the pretension of being anything more than popcorn entertainment. This movie acts like it's profound, and it's like this character study. No, it's a stupid fucking comic book movie that's in the guise of a serious important film like taxi driver so i hate this film i think it's a piece of junk joaquin phoenix is like like within the confines of this worthless film he does a very good job but i just sat there like this the like it is in a way um surprising that it got made but it really i mean to me it was more like you know those, they do like the Saturday Night Live shorts, like what if Wes Anderson did a slasher film? This is like an SNL digital short if of of Martin Scorsese directed a Joker film, and he was originally a uh, producer on the film, but he had the good sense of <laughs> dropping out of it. So uh, that I, is actually a pretty sidewalking...
0: perfect way to describe it. Like with the Wes Anderson makes Spider-Man, this sort of is like Taxi Driver era. Martin Scorsese makes the Joker movie, the spoof version. And it was totally over the top. Um, but as you were saying, uh, that most uh, comic book movies do not take them seriously, that sort of uh, brings us on to something Martin Scorsese said recently about uh, just comic book movies, you know, not sort of being worth <laughs> the amount of money being spent on them. And then how much reaction that got from the fans. So I don't know if that's actually true, though, about most comic book movies sort of accepting that they're not really deep. I think people that are really into like the Avengers movies think of those movies as being like almost high art. So in some ways, I think those movies, I mean, I don't know. Obviously I don't think that your opinion of the Joker is invalid and I agree with a lot of it, but I don't know. At least it's different than, than, you know, the Avengers Endgame movie. But it isn't.
1: i mean it's like um captain uh i can't remember what the stupid films are captain marvel there's winter soldier like that's like uh um espionage spy thriller and then guardians of galaxy is like a a quirky goofy comedy sci-fi film and you have logan is like a western it's like joker is just like gritty martin scorsese like well, Logan's a body. sort like, of similar just like
0: all the other approach to the comic book movie. But it's still just a stupid
1: fucking comic book movie. It's one, one of the better Joker ones, but it's Logan? still, like, it's Logan. It's still just, a, it, it, you know, for every comic book film I've ever seen, and some of them I really like. I really like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. I really like the first two Dark Knight films, especially the Dark Knight. Yes. Uh, I like Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy films. I could list 20 comic book films that I thoroughly enjoyed, but... These are not taxi driver; they're not the Godfather; they're not eight and a half they're not two thousand one like i I'm sorry, but like the best comic book films ever made there's like a big gap between like the best films ever made like I don't know if it's like you just can't make a great like comic book film like you you make a great comic book film, but I don't know that a great comic book film can be great cinema
0: well if if one were to be great cinema, it would have to take an approach like the joker took which obviously the joker was a swing and a miss but it would have to be something like that which is like a different sort of tilt on the comic book movie but uh i mean have you seen batman the tim burton one like i mean you how are yeah, you that's audience? fun, but it's still i mean it's so you've seen sort of the previous no, I don't remember iterations like that. of of the joker character in cinema and have, did you see suicide squad i obviously didn't but that was the most recent joker I uh, I don't know why I said obviously no. I did not see suicide squad that one just seemed totally insane and I almost don't even respect Jared Leto as an actor he just always goes so over the top in everything he does and some of the stories about his behavior on set were just you know completely ridiculous that he took his method acting to a a very unprofessional sort of level but it's just sort of crazy to see the trajectory of the Joker as a character and you know, popular American cinema where it goes from Jack Nicholson, who's, uh, well, sort of starting with, you know, the one of the 60s, which is a very funny Joker, you know, fun sort of character to this, like, serial murderer that well, we someone, get now, like a Bernie gets subway well, killer.
1: Well, someone pointed out that Cesar Romero, like, had so little, you know, feeling, you know, not, uh, he had so little, like, you know, depth to the character. Like he he wouldn't even shave off his mustache. They painted over his mustache <laughs> with the white makeup. So, like that's how little like, you know, it's but now the actors are like I mean, you could argue I mean, I don't like it too dark, but like I don't think that the Joker like I i don't think Keith Ledger doing the Joker completely helped him, you know, like you know what I'm saying? No, like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm yeah. not saying it killed him playing
0: the Joker. No, but especially for it, a like, method it, actor, it's a very tough space to put your head into. Um but, yeah, I don't but know, some just, of the I, strangest elements, how much of a comic book movie did this even feel like to you? Because I thought, like, the comic book elements sort of felt like the most heavy-handed parts of it, like where he visits Wayne Manor and encounters a young Bruce Wayne, and there's some stuff with, you know, Batman's father, but... Uh... In a lot of ways, it felt like the sort of uh, comic book elements of it like existed like tangentially to the rest of the stuff that was going on. And for the first hour, there was like nothing about it that had anything to do with like you know the DC universe or comic book movies in general. So it's just sort of funny that this movie is like part of. I don't know if it's gonna be a part of a comic book universe, but just the fact that it's a you know Warner Brothers DC movie is very strange because <laughs> the comic book elements of it just seemed sort of like forced into it uh that's why i think sort of part of it is just like a con job by todd phillips to get this movie made in the first place that he's just like oh yeah it's a batman movie even though it's like basically just a taxi driver remake
1: yeah and definitely the king of comedies in there and and part of that is casting de niro at it's it's like what if you know what would happen to his character rupert pupkin and The king of comedy like he might get his own tv show eventually but i just even outside of it being a comic book film and like it's just not a very interesting film like i don't find the oh you know the society and violence and the media like it's just it's been done better in the king of comedy and network and it's just it's not a even if it was not the joker it's just not a very interesting film it's just kind of
0: i would say the most interesting aspect to it was just it's portrayal of mental illness in general which uh, you're not usually exposed to like this. And one, you know, you can argue whether it's realistic or not, but... and It's it's never exactly said what his specific mental illness is, whether it's, you know... Uh, what's the one where... Uh, Jesus, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. The one... Ah, uh, crap.
1: <laughs> well, he, they talked about how he was sexually abused and tortured as a child. They, well, that I mean, was one thing they... about
0: it that I... Because there's in a lot of reviews I'm reading people are saying that that's like a fact in the world of the movie but for me there was a lot of 50 50 as to whether that stuff was planted by the Wayne family to discredit the mother or whether or not it was truth so I I, you know I I was a little fuzzy on whether or not that was real in terms of the movie but if it was then obviously that would lead to like post traumatic stress and like stuff like that but it's mentioned in the movie that he takes you know seven different uh prescription medications and there's a crucial scene where like the government funded therapist he's been seeing you know they cut funding to that so i thought probably the most interesting aspect to it was just showing how awful you know people with mental illness can be treated by everyday society when You know, everyone expects them to be behaving normally and, you know, looks at them like they're crazy when all they want to do is be, you know, reassured and not freaked out by just, you know, existing in the world. But one can argue whether they successfully Um, achieved an interesting and, uh, you know, compassionate and understanding portrait of a, a mentally ill person.
1: Right. I mean, I basically don't like anything about this film except Joaquin Phoenix. Struggling to make this film, you know, much more profound and interesting than it is, he gives a real performance. And I think that if you want to see a film about a mentally unstable man who goes on a violent spree, you see, uh, "You Were Never Really Here," which came out uh, just two years ago, Lynn Ramsey's film, which is also stars much, out- much, much better. Film. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, and I just think that's a that's a really interesting. Uh, But obviously that one is not you know being
0: seen by a half a million people or whatever this is going to end up being seen by so
1: because it's not a stupid fucking
0: batman i know that's what's the crazy part about this is that just the being attached to simply by being attached to a comic book element it's being seen by so many people but like if If this movie was, like, screened to a lot of audiences before they bought a ticket, I don't think a lot of the people buying the ticket would, like, sign up to see this movie. So, I don't know. I would love to be, like, polling people as they leave the theater and be like, was that what you expected? You know, to see what their reactions are if they, like, expected a movie like this or, you know, expected a traditional Batman movie.
1: Well, can we talk about Scorsese's recent comments about the Marvel films not being cinema, that they're like theme parks, and his yeah. doubling down on that saying that we have to save narrative film for movie theaters, uh, that well, that's getting harder and harder, and I agree with him.
0: I think there was a cinematographer, I can't remember who it was, but he said something about how, just the basic, you know, point of how Marvel movies are shot, are shot so that They emphasize as much as possible the very expensive sets that the Disney money pays for because they don't want that money to be wasted. So just the simple fact of how much money is being spent on these, like, uh, and the fact that you need to show a certain amount of special effects and show a certain amount of the sets that Disney's putting money into, that just from the jump, a lot of creative control is taking away from Some of the very creative filmmakers that Marvel is hiring to, you know, try to make an interesting product for them that they're just being, you know, hampered from the very start in, you know, the ceiling of the kind of movie that they can make. And we've seen that with the Star Wars universe, too, like uh, how Phil Lord and Chris Miller weren't allowed to make the, the Han Solo movie that they wanted and, you know, other stuff like that.
1: And Edgar Wright got kicked out of directing Ant-Man at the last minute because they basically told him, oh, we want you to change this character so we can make an action figure of them. And he went, no. And they just hired another director. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, th- the thing I say is that, I don't know if you agree with this, every film is a work of art. Now there's good art and there's bad art. You know, Trash Humpers and Jackass number two, Beavis and Butt Head to America, which don't get me wrong, are all films I like. Their art because they're films. Now there's good art and there's bad art. Now the question is, what does the word cinema mean? And it's very interesting today because there's the cinema, as in like I think of cinema as being like Ingmar Bergman and Stanley Kubrick, but there's also the movie theater cinema. Yeah. So, uh, the physical, physical space of where Marvel movies are seen
0: at- by a public audience and a shared experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, to me, cinema, it's like, I think of some films, okay, 2001 A Space Odyssey is a film. Uh, you know, the Marvel films, they're movies. That's like the distinction. Now, I think they're all art, but there's good art and there's bad art. And there's film, there are movies that deserve to be called films. And then there's movies that are just movies and not all movies that are just movies are bad, but they're just like, they know what they are. Like some of Roger Corman's movies, like they're movies. But they were made with, you know, they might have been made for, you know, a shoestring budget and, yeah. you know, but they, they well, put some effort into that. Well, I guess there's the difference
0: that. of it being a commodity and it being an artistic product because the motivation to make a lot of Marvel movies is to turn a profit. It's not to make the best motion picture possible. And when Martin Scorsese goes to make something like The Irishman or Silence, which was like a historic bomb, he really doesn't give two shits about whether or not the movie makes money. He just wants to make you know, the film that he sees in his head, so there's a big dis- a distinction between, you know, movies as commodities and movies as art, and, you know, that's something that's always existed, and that's, you know, been <laughs> the reason why a lot of uh, progress in films has happened, you know, that's the first reason why we got color movies, because it was a way to make money off of people, and, and then it took people, you know, to make art and make a distinct sort of, uh, you know, the things you can do with color that you can't do with black and white, but, Uh, that's why I think Joker's somewhat interesting because it's trying to make something different out of, you know, what has become the mode of filmmaking, like comic book movies are, and I, maybe like the the Joker will spell the end of this cycle, you know, Lord willing, we don't get 20 more years of comic book movies, but, uh, you know, that's just like the mode of filmmaking right now. I don't think it's going to be that way forever. Hopefully there's like a cyclical process to this because, you know. Although I've seen a lot of Marvel I... movies, I don't I don't like that that's like I want more movies like, you know, the Inceptions which are, you know, original ideas by visionary filmmakers, not, you know, just more <laughs> more Avengers movies with more characters.
1: It's like when Terry Gilliam has to make a film for less than $10 million, and there's been two Ant-Man movies, and Edgar Wright didn't get to direct the first one, like, there's a problem.
0: Well, I mean, and that's I just the thing, is they're, is... like, guaranteed money, so there's no reason not to make them, and that's, like, the that's like the damn thing about the, the art form, is it costs so much money to, you know, get these things made. Look at Ad Astra, just how expensive that was, so... You know, it's not like writing a book where all yeah. you need well, is paper. I,
1: I seriously worry about the state of cinema distribution and filmmaking. I saw this article on IndieWire, and the headline is, Amazon Studios, once in Indie Haven, concludes that films are products. You know, They've actually made some really interesting films. Yeah. I mean, films Manchester by the Sea, Cold like, War. They, Spike Lee's Chirac, uh, the remake of Suspiria, Mike Lee's film Peterloo. I just worry that, you know, basically, Scorsese couldn't get The Irishman made at any of the old school studios, so he had to go to Netflix. They're the only people that would give him the budget that he needed and the creator freedom. And I worry that it's going to get to the point, basically, where only Netflix and Amazon will make anything that's not a giant, big franchise movie, a comic book film, The Fast and the Furious, a Star Wars, or an animated kids film. (laughs) Yes. Or... And but but what's going to happen is that Netflix and Amazon are going to get to the point where like wait why are we wasting money giving uh, these people money to make these films that nobody really is watching Let's just you know make a Star Wars TV series yeah. Let's just make you know and I think it's going to be the point where I mean it's David Cronenberg he's actually going to be doing a netflix miniseries based on his novel that he wrote a few years ago but he said he hasn't had a feature film in five years and he said that he's not sure that he's ever going to make another film because it's so hard to get them made there's so many of my favorite living directors their most recent film made less than 10 million dollars and a lot of them made less than a million dollars like Terrence malik and Woody allen you know they make like two million dollars or something and i don't know how it's going to sustain no
0: it is sort of unsustainable and one of the production companies that was financing a lot of the uh you know f- movies by not necessarily revolutionary but forward-thinking directors anna Perna, was basically just financed you know by the daughter of a very rich media conglomerate who had a lot of money and was willing to lose money on making projects that she wanted to see financed. That is not obviously a sustainable business practice unless you have all the money in the world. So, you know, unless there's like a Jeff, well, I mean, Jeff Bezos isn't even going to do it because he's Amazon. So, you know, unless someone who's richer than God just wants to like finance every Steven Soderbergh movie from here on out. Yeah, there is, it is sort of an unsustainable business practice to to make the Martin Scorsese movies that just barely break even.
1: Well, the Soderbergh had this really interesting discussion a few years ago. He had he gave this speech saying that the problem is the studios, they want to make a film for hundred and fifty million dollars or more and spend hundreds, you know, you know, spend a ton of money to promote it, uh, the hell out of it, and, and try to make a, over a billion dollars worldwide, and or a filmmaker has to make a movie for like one or two million dollars. That they're yeah. not making films for t- thirty or it has forty to be or like, 50 like Moonlight. <laughs>
0: We're right, like, they right, don't right, even the realize you're exactly. making the movie you spend so little money
1: yeah it's like they want to make a movie they want to spend 200 million dollars or more to make and promote a film and to make a billion dollars rather than to make a film for 40 million dollars and then have it gross like it could gross 200 million dollars but mm-hmm. it's not a billion dollars Yeah, exactly. they want to put their <laughs> you know they're gonna and they don't want it they're risk averse like yeah. Christopher Nolan's basically the only director that can make something that's on a big scale, like Dunkirk and Inception. That's original content, yeah. and I just don't. I don't. You know, it, it depresses me that The Irishman is not going to be released in very many theaters, but Aquaman and Avengers: Endgame play in a lot of theaters, a lot of multiplexes for three plus months. Yeah. It's depressing.
0: Well, it's and certainly a different thing. place like, that the that the medium is going, but. You know, there's still good stuff coming out in the future. Thing. We've got, you know, JoJo Rabbit, personal history of David Copperfield, but yeah, your one last thing, Jonathan. Well,
1: yeah, I was. Gonna say, I, I agree with Paul Schrader. He said this um, a while back. I think part of the problem is the audiences. Yeah, the audiences are at fault too. You you know, they make movies on based on what makes money. If people only going to see these comic book films and Fast and Furious and Star Wars. That's what they're going to make. If something like first reformed made a hundred million dollars, they would make more films like that or the favorite or, you know, and every so often a movie comes out like black Klansman. That's an original film and or get it's out. made by an interesting director. I know. Yeah. And it's just, it's so rare though. And I just, you know, I I don't, I don't really understand why the comic book movies are so popular with so many people I don't know if they actually like them or whether it's just escapist entertainment because I I don't understand, like, a 40... I mean,
0: because it's just familiarity familiarity with the characters. It's like they've become really expensive, long-running TV serials. Like, you know, it's just familiarity with, you know, the Iron Man and Captain America. So that's where it'll be interesting to see where it goes forward because those, especially two... Spo- spoiler alert if you haven't seen the last avengers movies but captain america and iron man are not going to be in any more marvel movies so and uh so you know
1: well, but i don't understand i don't understand the idea of like you know i it, to me in the 50s and 60s uh you know these things were like really well, that's low when, budget like, movies were made retro like yeah. you know it just yeah, comes in cycles in the about 50s the genre. And... Yeah, but I'm saying in the 50s and 60s, these uh, sci-fi stuff, this stuff was like really low budget. Some of it was really good, uh, but it was really low budget films. And I feel like what happened is people like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas grew up loving these low budget sci-fi movies. And the geek has inherited the earth. They got the, you know, they went off to Hollywood and they've made these B movie, you know, they've basically made it these giant a-list tentpole movies but i just don't understand like i don't how many people actually read comic books like i don't understand how these no, movies way make less two than billion dollars movies. like it's do,
0: like it it like exists know, as a cultural phenomenon outside it so of I, it's a mystery it really is it's just it's just like i, I don't know familiar with I, iconography it's like a testament to the power of really good marketing and really good you know character symbolization yeah i really don't know think, any other reason. i mean i
1: yeah, I mean, I think I think definitely part of the reason that they came around uh, around 20 years ago, you know, you could say that blade you know but then when you really get to the first x-men movies and this yeah. first spider-man movie because the special effects caught up with them yes. that like that's why they started to be made but i don't understand why they've taken over all the oxygen in the film world like why are there like six or seven why is venom in the top 10 <laughs> highest grossing films of the last year like i don't understand that like yeah. why are like why does a, an adult who's like over 20 Go to the box office like, and they see there's First Reformed, The Favorite, Burning, and they're like, let's see, like, eight comic book films, but we're not going to see – I don't get it. I'm I, rambling, but I don't get it. I I, don't a a lot of it is
0: marketing, the- and, you know, I think we can just come to it that it is a mystery, and one can only hope that <laughs> this cycle doesn't last forever. But uh, two movies premiered at the Venice Film Festival, Ad Astra and Joker. Uh, consensus-wise, we were – combined much higher on ad astra joker for jonathan it sounds like it's one of his least favorite movies of the year so far uh for me not quite that but it definitely was what'd you give it a star
1: rating if you had to give it a star rating out of five
0: i don't know it feels like it's a cop-out to give it like a three because that's just not what it is but i don't know i mean if i had to like you know write like a review it would be like a one-star review but a nuanced <laughs> written review you know what i mean um i definitely wouldn't give it a five three is a cop out so i don't know i'd give it a two
1: <laughs> yeah i just i i mean i don't know i i I'd People would give that and for like Joker. a four and a
0: half four so you know,
1: yeah i mean for reference. it's it's like this thing of like people should see joker because people are talking about it but it isn't worth talking about almost no it's not it's not worth to... the
0: controversy it created because you know for one thing i feel like the character arc is so outside like the everyone's someone's everyday normal experience the the main character is so just on left field out there crazy person that he has difficult time simply commuting back and forth to work it's not like an experience that a a functioning human being can really have a lot of relation to so i don't know i don't think yeah, it really so is worth it let's the, say the the, the no you know. that's
1: yeah okay uh, i mean but, and i saw an article that said that the academy is very split like i don't know if he's going to get nominated for best actor mm-hmm. like i heard all these people saying oh he's a shoe in to win or like he's definitely going to get nominated I'm not 100 percent sure he's going well, to get Mr. nominated Device.
0: for you know like the Razzie Award for worst actor because it is a I mean it is no well I'm just saying because it is a completely over the top performance and it is one that he is really going for so if one really wanted to be like a hater of his performance he can be like it was so awful it was such a reach and none of it landed that's not what I thought about it I thought he was I don't just you think he's his is the, be- it's the best actor. thing about the Oh, certainly. And he's in almost every frame of it. If it was a lesser actor, it would have (laughs) been a completely worthless movie. Like, if there was, you know, like a... I don't want to, like, call someone out who's, you know, because they probably would be good, but if a less capable actor than Joaquin Phoenix had been the lead character, it really would have been a total junk of a movie and deserving of, you know, all the shit people throw at it. But simply because he's in it, it it is raised to a level it other, otherwise would not achieve. Yeah, I mean,
1: I I just say go see Ad Astra, especially in a theater. It's not playing an IMAX anymore, and just stay at it home. It was and a watch great you IMAX. Really movie. She,
0: Ad Astra was a great yeah, IMAX. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, um, yeah, I just it depresses me that I, I yeah, it, like the fact <laughs> it's. I saw someone talk about how Joker. It's almost like in fitting with the character that we're all getting so worked up about this yeah. even if it's not worth it like he's yeah. it's like it's like a prank almost
0: yeah, i mean exactly that's like in the movie itself like there's like riots caused by what he does and they like ask him why he did it and it's sort of like the stranger which is you know the uh, uh the french philosopher you know you probably know his name i can't think of it. Is. but he's asked like why did you kill the guy he says the sun was in my eye it's like i'm not thinking about the the crisis I'm creating there's no reason for it I don't know why everyone's reacting the way they are it's just what it is the fuss being made about it is much more bluster than anything else but yeah <laughs> we've probably gone on a little too long anyway thank you for listening uh, we will be back with you I know Jojo Rabbit's coming out somewhat soon I'm very excited about saying that um, I could not tell you what else Parasite think. Parasite, yes yeah. so it'll probably be something like those two we'll be talking about next time we record but anyway, thank you for listening. You, you can't me. even Next finish. Time. You're talking a lot, but you're not saying.